Hello and welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the industry's most exciting awards races. Who is in the running? What makes awards-worthy film and television? How can you, listener, win a statue of your own? We're sitting down with actors to get that insider's perspective on these questions and more, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. If you keep on going to the same kinds of challenges, you go to the same impulses, you exercise the same things, you may be able to articulate and crystallize a way of doing something. You may be even able to brand yourself. But I don't know whether it's I haven't found my way of doing that, it's not my talent, or I'm not interested. It doesn't really matter. It just hasn't naturally happened for me. Should we just dive in? Yeah, sure. Let's start with um, me just saying that just now. Shall we just dive in? Like we're mm. going as of now. Okay. This is happening. Oh, how we're are doing you? it now. How are oh. you? <laughs> Jamie. We never know quite how to start these things, do we? <laughs> I think that was as good a way as any. Yeah. Um, Jamie and I are not in the same room. I'm here at Soundbox LA in beautiful Los Angeles. And Jamie, where are you? I am in rainy, miserable <gasps> Philadelphia. Oh. oh, but Philadelphia just celebrated a big day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? I was here I was here in the studio the other night and uh it sounded like a war zone. I'm not even I kidding. Bet. I walked out it's the front scary. door and there was fireworks happening in sort of three hundred and sixty degrees. Wow. There were people driving down the road honking their horns. The the cops had their arms and waving out the window as they're driving around. <laughs> it, was, it was good. And this is like in the like the country. Like this isn't like the center of Philly oh, either. Oh, I you see. know, so Oh how funny. Um I was like thinking it wouldn't be such a big deal, but are you like the 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 Brit who's come in and you're you're befuddled about all of that happening, or are you are you a hardcore Eagles fan? I don't know. No, I've been watching the Super yeah. Bowl since I've been in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On and off. So and I'm it not is a big deal that Philadelphia is finally they did it. They did it. Yeah. Well, for for sports people out there, um, we we had this thing where when we were in England, we moved to Portsmouth, which is quite a small town on the South Coast, mm. and they won the FA Cup, which is kind of a big mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to New York, and then the Giants won the Super Bowl, and oh. then we moved here, and the Eagles won the no. Super Bowl. So I think we're the that's uh, so interesting. lucky mascots. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, that's cool. Why are we talking it, about sport? Literally, anyway? I have no idea. In fact, you should ask me about the Oscars, because yes. <laughs> that's the reason I'm here, and that is something that I do know how to talk about. Yeah, we're back in our comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Oscar it's Oscar season, quote it unquote, is. here. And it's kind of an exciting uh, year for the Oscars. We just had Willem Dafoe here in the studio, mm -hmm. an Oscar nominee for this year. And um, yeah, everyone's kind of buzzing about what best picture will be. I think in particular best picture because it's a year, you know, Moonlight winning last year was a bit of a a wrench in the works of the Academy. It's so not the kind of movie that they yeah. typically awarded. And so... It's. I think that's kind of injected some fun unpredictability to it. Where this year we have some crazy fantasy films in the running and a horror film in the running and some. So who are the nominees comedies. again? Oh my god! Can I do this off the top of my head? Okay, are we ready? I can cut the space out if you want to. Uh, if you, you want to make me sound brilliant. Okay, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not googling it. Okay, ready? Okay. Call me by your name. Lady Bird. Get out. Phantom Thread. Shape of Water. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Dunkirk. Darkest Hour. Oh, of course. And 
and the post. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Nine. Okay. Well done. Yes. Uh, yes. So good. And no Florida project. And no Florida project, unfortunately, which as I, <sighs> as I maybe should not have said in this interview, is my favorite movie of the year. Frankly, mm-hmm. mine too. Okay, Last great. Year. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, it's just extraordinary. And and for those who haven't seen it, I think this interview is. St- I think you can still follow along with this interview because this is Willem Dafoe. Yeah. And Willem <laughs> Dafoe is a brain that is an a really interesting everything that comes out of his mouth is going to be interesting as it relates to acting yeah um because he's kind of done it all but not at all ever in a way that you would expect as i was listening um you know we've done a number of these episodes now and mm-hmm. not that you ask the same questions every time but no, right. you know there are a certain amount of acting questions that crop up every now and again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and his answers will unlike any other i've heard in this <laughs> good <series>. okay good <laughs> yeah so no, he's interesting. he's wild he i think he as he said he's got this natural curiosity where each role is about finding the new challenge and it's about solving a problem and creating a character and telling a story and his style, I, I kept trying to get him to kind of boil his style down to a science and like, you know, write down the manifesto of Willem Dafoe. But like, that's just not possible. It's more just like, he's very tactile. He's very, he wants to take every role with a sense of versatility and freedom. Mm. And, but he's also very physical and he does do the outside in approach where he can very much get inspiration from the circumstances of the way a character looks or the way a character moves. We talked about Max Schreck, uh, who plays Nosferatu in the movie that yeah. he was in, The Shadow of a Vampire, um, the second of his three Academy Award nominations. And mm. um, that, I feel like, is a prime example of, like, Willem Dafoe just disappearing into a role, of course, and doing that insane physical physicality performance and finding yeah. liberation in that. And then, of course how wild it is that he's also playing this motel manager named Bobby in the Florida project. (laughs) And I think that's, that's sort of why there may be a touch of sensitivity about the idea that he's slightly typecast as the evil, scary guy. And for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's much more three dimensional. Right. And to, and to say any character is a villain, as he points out, it just boils them down. I don't know. It kind of yeah. shrinks them into one thing and it right. gives you, I think his whole thing is like, he wants to just subvert expectations. He wants mm. to play roles where an audience goes in and thinks that you're seeing one thing and then you see another. And again, yeah. the Florida project is kind of a perfect example. It's a tiny, tiny indie movie from Sean Baker that you would not expect a veteran actor like Willem Dafoe to be in, in the first place. No. I can't wait to get into it with, with Willem. Um, I think it's kind of fitting that we're, we're capping off our season of interviewing Oscar contenders with some a film that you and I agree is our favorite. Maybe we're not supposed to pick favorites. But. I know we're not supposed to, but everyone yeah. has them. <laughs> yeah, we're not picking a favorite yeah. interview, but in terms of movies, no movie inspired me more than this one did. So I'm really yeah, excited it's to unlike, talk about it today. Like, like you said, it's unlike anything else. And you know that in yeah. itself is, is a, a How victory. How often can you say that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so let's get to this uh, interview. This final interview of the season. Oh, so exciting. So exciting. Okay, here we go. Known for appearing in both mainstream blockbusters and off-the-beaten-path indies, our guest today can always be counted on to surprise you as a performer. 
Willem Dafoe is a three-time Academy Award-nominated actor for Platoon, The Shadow of a Vampire, and this year's The Florida Project from A24. Written and directed by Sean Baker, the film stars Dafoe as the manager of a rundown motel in Florida, just out of reach of Walt Disney World. Here it is, the In the Envelope interview with the brilliant Willem Dafoe. Congratulations on your Oscar nomination. Great. All right, good. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Re- I really want to talk about the Florida Project because, well, because it's my favorite movie of the year. Good for you. Um, <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yes, good. <laughs> we can start a club. <laughs> um, but it also seems like such an ideal movie to to speak about the craft of acting through a particular kind of acting. Exactly. Yeah. And um, a particular impulse yeah yeah and the impulse behind you even ending up in a project like this at all well to tell you the truth i want to say it's not that different i mean it is Mm. and it isn't in the respect that sean baker is making movies like this you know uh Mm. it's really like neorealism i mean he's he's it's got all the marks of neorealism uh in the respect that it's He's shooting in real places. He's shooting with, um, you know, people that aren't normally actors sometimes, mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a guerrilla style of shooting. And uh, mm-hmm. also, like, you know, neo-realist movies, he's often dealing with an underclass in this case. Right. Mm. Or, or a marginalized people, like in the case of Tangerine. Yeah, gotcha. So... Um, mm. I like that, but the, the I'm attracted to that. Uh, but the thing that makes it not so different is with every movie, you know, you got to mm. figure out your way. And <laughs> I can't express enough how in any cast, even if it's a, a studio movie, a big studio movie, sure. people's backgrounds, their trainings are, is, are very different. Yeah. So there's no mm. no uniformity to an approach, right? Or what kind of performing happens? So you always have to kind of adapt, adapt. But in this case, you were because you're working, as you say, with some first time actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've said before that just because they haven't been in movies doesn't mean they don't know how to perform. It's true that we all perform. We all perform. But as the veteran actor in the cast, were you? Did you kind of take on the role like Bobby, where you were a little bit of a manager and a little bit of a... A little bit, but in a, in a not that much, you know, because they were... When you look around the... Uh, when you look at the breakdown of how the movie's structured, hmm. there's the scenes that are basically in the room or, or with the kids. Hmm. You know, they're separate. And then Bobby is kind of uh, connective tissue. Yeah. He's connecting the different parts of this terrain Mm -hmm. so most of my scenes are coming into things where i'm i'm kind of dealing with the situation sure so it's a very specific thing yeah so a thing so that there are bobby scenes and then there are the scenes basically of mooney and her mom totally yeah or those just scenes of kids just playing that doesn't even feel like acting and there's some overlap but Mm -hmm. um right 
so they really, you know, the kids were the engine, basically, yeah. of the thing. And Sean's smart enough to know that, well, he had a real stake in, you know, making this movie from the children's point of view. Yeah. Primarily. So he let them go. He let them go. So I guess part of my job was uh, to be flexible and see where it took us and mm. uh, hmm. rein it in only when it had to be reined in. So it is a little like Bobby's cool. uh, Bobby's job. Yeah. Um, those scenes were just, it's just, it's just, as you say, he's trying to, Sean Baker's trying to capture the childlike innocence. And I think he does that so beautifully and I wonder if that infected your own performance in a way, your style. Um, ah, that's hard to say. That childlike imagination. I'm not, I'm not, you know, he was, he talked about, and, and I talked about after the fact, you know, about how, he, not while we were doing it, how he wanted to capture the vividness of being mm. a child, mm. you know, the kind of hope, the kind of open-endedness, you yeah. know, these kids are in this environment it's an adventure. I mean, he talks yeah. about being influenced by our gang, you know, mm -hmm. uh, how much he loved that. And mm. he also makes the parallel that, you know, those kids were living in depre depression era uh, times, mm -hmm. you know. So you have that world. He wanted to connect with that sensual, uh, sensually mm. uh, uh, or whatever the word is, uh, through the senses, um, mm. what those kids were experiencing. Yeah. And then, then he deals, of course, with the shadow side of that, uh, the with their parents, side. and uh, it's almost like with, a behind the scenes. That well, it's where it's you know you can imagine that if if things don't change for these kids, they will become their mothers. You know, right? Uh, they will become their fathers. And it would be it would be a very bleak message, or very bleak themes, if it wasn't filtered through that childlike sense of hope. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And the idea that, like, her idea of a safari is to go watch the cows behind the yeah, meadow. Yeah, <laughs> so beautiful. <it's> true. <laughs> and then also, I said Bobby's connective tissue, but mm -hmm. also it's a little bit of a portrait of a community. And, yeah. Mm. And I wasn't aware of this, but, you know, you see how I think it is human nature, you know, to people for people to take care of each other. Mm. Because Bobby, in his role... Not because he's a great guy. I mean, he really just wants to watch the ball game in peace. <laughs> really, that's what he wants, sure. right? It's just dealing one step at a time, one day at a time. Yeah. yeah. But he also understands how he's connected to these people. Mm. These are his people. Mm. And I even felt that, you know, play acting, a motel manager, oh, cool. you know, making this parallel experience that is not totally unlike you know, the fiction that we're creating. Yeah. You, you know, you start to care about these people. These kids, cool. I started to develop relationship with them. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. them. Were they a pain in the ass sometimes? Yes. <laughs> were, d did I love them? Yes. Yeah. Did, it's I, all of a did I want good things for them? Yes. Yeah. Did sometimes they push it too far and have too much ice cream and they were all sugar rushed out? <laughs> yes. You know, all that's in the mix. Totally. Um, what can you tell us about? the real-life hotel manager that, that Sean Baker kind of based the character on? Um, he was, I mean, there's, there's more than one sort of, it's kind of a composite. And then, of course, throw me in there a little bit. Mm. Um, mm. But he, 
the, the, I interviewed some, and one in particular, um, I couldn't tell really exactly where he was from, and he was a little evasive about his background, mm. which made me think that maybe, you know, he he didn't have an easy life. Sure. Um, huh. I basically met with him to find out, well, also to look at him, see how he presented style. himself, cool. you know, how, how vain was he, how ah. much did he have a uniform, how much did he, was he materialistic, you mm. know, how, just see where he's coming from. Cool. And, but the real surprise was how much he took his uh, took pride in his job, mm, mm. which maybe isn't that significant, but it felt significant oh, because, yeah. you know, this place, it's not it's not run down, but it's you don't want to live six to a room, you know, right. for months on t- on edge. No, yeah, uh, on it's end. a form of homelessness. Yeah, yeah, it's a form of homelessness, yeah. and it's tough, and he is not you know doesn't seem like he's got extraordinary st- skills he's a nice guy mm. but he does have extraordinary uh, people skills and he oh. did take a pride in um res- you know conflict resolution yeah the stuff know? that kind of stuff and he, he kind of prided himself that you know it's like he kind of prided himself that the place was safer mm-hmm. and more comfortable mm. and he was able to give some people a break sometime uh, more with him coming there than it was before. So he had a yeah. pride and he made it a better place. Yeah, pride in one's work is, I'm realizing, kind of a central part of, of Bobby, of that of your performance, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, do you do interviews with, uh, for other roles, do you do interviews with your quote-unquote source material or people that are inspired by it? Have you ever played a real-life person that you got to meet? Huh, have I played... Uh, that's a good question. I played, I played plenty of real life people, but not. They were usually dead. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, do you I'm have like tricks that you whip out? Like you're looking for. I hope for I the... have no tricks. Uh huh. This okay. is my aspiration. Cool. Of course, I, I like to say I've got instincts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And patterns, mm. and patterns. Mm-hmm. But you know, really, I, I've got very. You have things that you return to, but I mm. kind of discourage leaning on that. Part mm-hmm. of the fun of acting is every time your job's different. So, right. So you reinvent your process, not because you are you need to make everything different or you need mm. to show your range, not because of that, because everything is different. Yeah. The target's always moving, ah, cool. and you don't want to repeat yourself. I mean, you know, people sometimes say... Uh, I don't know. I'm changing. The world's changing. You know, catch mm. the wave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've played a lot of villains, and at one point you expressed that you didn't want to be stuck playing just villains. Yeah, that was very early, though. I mm-hmm. haven't played as many villains as... No. This is this is something I hear so all the time, so mm-hmm. you aren't wrong, apparently. <laughs> apparently. But I don't experience it that way. Uh-huh. Um, They're just characters. They're characters and they're people. They're often people that are out of the mainstream. Maybe they aren't um, recognizable characters yeah. or they don't have a recognizable psychology or a recognizable point of view, but that's what I love. That's a better way of looking at and it, yeah. It, I would challenge you right now, I mean, if we had a different format for this talk, you know, I, <laughs> I would, we'd break out the computer and we'd look at IMDb and uh-huh. I'd, I'd 
fight you on every one of those characters. <laughs> I mean, and I bet you we come well. less. Well, I don't know that they're heroes or villains. So, I we, see. I see what you mean. We come up with. You would be holding very few names there that you yeah. could say are stone cold villains. Yeah, because to say yeah to label someone a villain, you're saying is it makes them two dimensional, makes them kind of a something expected. A little bit. A little bit. Or there's, there's some characters that are just, you know, they're not they're not savory, but uh, yeah, they, and they f- <laughs> function as an antagonist, but ah, they're. They're people too. Totally. <laughs> and if you, as an actor, are approaching I, it, I, I'm getting sick of uh, uh, protecting this position. But I yeah. always gotta, you know. There are people too. Yeah. A little bit. I recently saw Shadow of Vampire. I saw it the other day, uh, okay. and it was so so <laughs> astonishing. It was right. a completely jaw dropping performance oh, on cool. your part. I mean, is that guy a villain? See, that's the thing. Like, that's a perfect example. Give me I think. a good villain. If you, I don't know how well you know my movies, and I'm not trying to. Oh yeah. Test you. But no. <laughs> Bobby Peru is probably a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's without apology and he's just a bad guy. Sure, sure. Um, he's the antagonist, as you say. You know, yeah. I'm trying to think, but recently, you know, is Pasolini a villain? Mm. No. Is Caravaggio and uh, uh, English Patient a villain? No. no. Is 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 T.S. Eliot a villain in that mm. story? A little bit, but not totally. Right. Because he also no, it, and it does re- some beautiful things. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, I don't want to get too crazy with my own, <laughs> you know, work history, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you get it. Totally. Well, and you, you have this quote. I'm going to read a quote that you had said, mm-hmm. and it was in reference to playing Nosferatu, essentially, okay. playing mm-hmm. Max Schreck. The best work comes when you're unsure, when you're terrified, when you're off balance. And you've also said that performing for you is about control and discipline versus abandon and just letting go. And the irony of playing Max Schreck and this kind of big campy, I guess you could say, but also quite horrific mm-hmm. Nosferatu, mm-hmm. you said that that was actually the physical limitations of that role really were freeing, paradoxically. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a very literal and metaphorical mask. Mm, and, yeah. And also, uh, with Shadow of the Vampire, I had a model. I had something to copy. Yes. And I have no problem copying mm-hmm. because you can never really copy. Gotcha. You can, you know, you can look at something and you can reproduce it, mm. but it's in your body and it's expressed in your terms and that's just the kicking off point. That that's cool. that's where it starts. So that gives you a structure and then you jump off from that. Mm-hmm. And I agree, had a great structure I had this beautiful makeup that made me feel different look different um, I had my body was uh, altered you know my hands I had used them differently because totally. I had very long fingernails <laughs> I had a corset on oh wow. I had a little hunchback um, all those bells and whistles mm. you take them on and they they lead the way and they become triggers for your imagination because you can't support who you are mm dealing with all those things so you have to kind of submit to a different physicality also you look in the mirror you don't see yourself anymore that's very cool so you say okay you're an actor you want (laughs) to will yourself to be someone else it's it's a lot easier when you have an extreme right uh, extreme conditions put on you yeah well but that makes me think that some playing someone like bobby is then difficult more challenging in a way 
I, I guess I guess in relationship to what I said, but well, yeah. But you've also said like you you said yourself that Bobby has has you in him in addition to these kind of various factors that you cherry picked from mm-hmm. interviewing real people. Yeah, I, you know the thing the thing that was a pleasure about Bobby he had a real function and mm. the way we made this we you know we created this parallel world. I mean, I really was kind of like this hotel manager mm. whenever I was on set that was kind of my function yeah I was I was with them but I also was a little apart mm. you know Bobby cool. that character lives there but um, he also is in a position of authority yeah yeah and I love that scene where we get a sense that there's some this whole backstory with him where he has his son come in yeah and it's just hinted at we don't get to hear yeah that those were uh, they're two short scenes mm-hmm. and they're very short but they're very to the point, and I think they're very effective. I think as we were making the movie, um, Sean really felt the need for us to f- place Bobby a little bit more. Mm. And I said, fine, you know, not to explain anything, but just to give him a texture to know that he had some, to know how he ended up at this place, to get mm. the sense that Bobby, too, had right. some disappointments. Right. I mean... <laughs> A lot of these people that are, in, are put in a situation of, of, you know, not having a home, they all have a story, and the story mm. isn't always dramatic. It's very practical, you know? Right. Um, so you wanted to hint at Bobby was, was also in the same situation. Yeah, it's that world building you're talking about. You're not, like you say, if you want to do the neorealism, you don't necessarily give every character a big dramatic backstory. Right. And I, I always maintain, or at least it's my thing, uh, backstory can make you decide things about costume and, mm. you know, where you came from and all the accents and some, some you know, um, of the external things. Yeah. But deeply, if you create a backstory and you're too very married to it, yeah. When you're in the scene, you're always trying to, you want to pay it off, and you're pointing to things that are outside of the scene. Uh, Now, that hmm. can be a very showy and fun thing to do for the audience to see how clever you are, but Uh, I think it takes you away from the reality of the scene. Yeah. It depends on what kind of movie you're doing, of course, but a movie like this, you want to... You want to have a, a, a sense of being there in a way that doesn't point to anything outside of what's going on. Yeah. You want to feel like you really want to not feel like an actor. You don't want to be an actor. You want to be mm-hmm. um, a person that just walked into the frame. Ah, oh, wonderful. Um, is that true for auditions as well, like the idea of not being too wedded to your own material because then... I've heard this before, where if you're too wedded to your material, then you show you can't show flexibility when a director ah, gives you a direction. You know what? Let me be a little, little snot and say, <laughs> I, you know, it, it's been a long time when since I've auditioned. Yeah. I'd be happy to do it if I needed to, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> I mean, they have some movies to look at, you know. Um, yeah. But also, I, I because I, I came from the theater mm-hmm. and I don't have a didn't have a traditional uh, way of you know people usually saw me at the theater yeah. so it I I don't know about auditioning so much I've done That's it certainly great. no it's I've been very lucky because yeah. I started working albeit 
very modestly uh, with a very poor, th- uh, you know, economically poor theater, very mm-hmm. uh, little resources, but we did have a home. Um, but I started working pretty much, you know, when I was pretty young, like mm-hmm. 19, and, and with sometimes I'd have to supplement things by little jobs and things, but I never had that classic mm-hmm. thing of having to take other jobs. And, right. Because um, I I was a part of a company for many many years, and then yeah. after that, I, I really never did other jobs. Yeah, what what was the Although biggest? Although I like doing other jobs, some of my favorites yeah. were like washing dishes. Oh, okay, you that did do some really good. survival jobs. Yeah, I liked modeling for art classes. Oh, cool! Oh, yeah. you did that. Yeah, you oh, get cool. naked and you pose and <laughs> try to hold the pose. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um. What did the what was the biggest takeaway from the Worcester group? I imagine a lot of your training was kind of that was like the foundation that you lay. It it was. I think the main thing I mean there were many things, but um it was I don't know, uh this this idea of task oriented performing. Mm-hmm. Um doing things. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a, a physical approach, a practical approach, a non illusionistic approach. Mm-hmm. That doesn't that doesn't describe the Wooster Group at all, but that's part of my takeaway. Right, um, kind of an escape from the chains of uh, literature and psychology, because I've always been interested in the stuff. I've been interested more in in tone and presence yeah. and and physical movement, abstraction, color, all those things. Cool, you know and. While a beautifully written script is great, hmm. while psychology, it, we're built in sorting out the world through our understanding of psychology so much, it's not like hmm. I'm not aware of it or I don't consider it, but those aren't, or even character, those aren't the things that drive me to do what I do. Gotcha. I'm much more, you know, I don't do it to be different, but I just find myself gravitating. You know, I find myself when I'm doing interviews, I, I start calling myself a performer rather than an actor. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not significant, but I think it's significant. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I come from a different culture, let's say, because I came from that downtown world mm-hmm. where it was interdisciplinary and people were doing it to do it. They weren't... Uh, you know, so much uh, career-minded. Exactly, yeah. It's the downtown theaters. It's just for the sake of but doing... But those people grow work. up and they have to make a living and that all, you know, those those <laughs> things do set in. Yeah. But that's not where I started. Yeah. And this idea of, you know, renewing things and not... And, and the event is what's interesting. The, mm. the going towards something is interesting. It's not just about result or interpretation. Oh, cool, cool. But that's, I can say that because I'm a performer and a collaborator, but I'm, you know, if I was a director, I'm not sure I could say that because yeah. they have to be a little more responsible. <laughs> totally, <laughs> I get that. And I do think that the, your idea of, of being a performer rather than an actor, that implies more tactile, more practical, more doing. I don't know. I don't know, but also one interesting thing about the Wooster Group is, is it was a place where the technicians were performers and the performers were technicians because yeah. we shared those kind of tasks. 
like any good theater troupe, I think. Well, I mean, but also nothing was hidden. So um, mm. certain practical concerns were were integrated into the fabric of what we were doing. Mm. And a lot of it came out of necessity. I remember, right. you know, we had a 90-year-old actress that couldn't always be there, so we taped her, and uh, sometimes we would play, we'd roll out the TV set, the monitors, and uh, we'd play the scene with her on uh, tape. Cool. Now, that sounds like an idea. It wasn't an idea. It was a solution. Out of necessity, yeah, yeah. And I think connecting with that kind of um, practicality Hmm. And and yeah. is interesting, you know, is is something I feel comfortable with. Well, and it reminds me, it frankly, it reminds me of Sean Baker, the idea of when you're on a very restricted budget, when you're shooting a movie on just an iPhone, like he did for Tangerine. Yes. I feel that is what forces you to make the most creative, organic choices. Yes. You got to find out the, you got to find the correct, and like I always say, Look at the Florida Project. If you had a bigger budget mm. and more actors in it, mm. <laughs> it, the result would have been different. You could totally. have never told this story yeah. because I think those people at the motel would have been different around mm. if they felt like the circus had come to town. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, they shared more with us and they participated more with us. Yeah. I think because it was um, a humble production. Cool. So, and I'll extend that even further. I mean, and then the movie is made, and I think it's a, mm. it's a very beautiful movie. And I think it's an important movie because oh, movies like this feed the industry at large, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. On and some level. Like, I mean, you know, you see it all the time. Uh, that you know that the kind of loose shooting that so many people do handheld yeah. stuff on tv shows now <laughs> I, how would have that i mean i'm sure there's other reasons it's there but yeah. i always think of lars von trier you know i think right <laughs> you know he was really bold with that right and <laughs> and does that mean lars came to hollywood no but right but people saw his films and directors saw his films and I think they were influenced. They're totally influenced. Similarly, yeah. you know, Sean Baker is doing a lot of um, work for the culture and the industry. Sure. Well, it's just by nature of being a great thing, a great piece of art that is outside the mainstream or mm -hmm. just enough outside the mainstream, right. maybe. And one of the beautiful things about Sean is he's got this great film culture and it's all inclusive. He sees mm. everything. Right, I'm And sure. he's not a snob. I'd right. love to talk to him about movies because he he talks about every movie in their own terms. You know, he's not he doesn't poo-poo any particular mm. kind of movie. That's great. And that's good because it it you know, there's there's always a temptation to kind of stake your territory and say, "Well, I like this or yeah. I do this kind of movie." But uh, that's always a temptation, but I try to resist it because mm. I find you know, different challenges and different situations are, you know, feed you in different ways. And if you keep on going to the same 
kinds of challenges, you go to the same impulses, you exercise the same things. You may be able to articulate and crystallize a way of doing something. You may be even able to brand yourself and Mm. make yourself a thing to be sold in a very articulate, beautiful way. Mm. But I've never, you know, um, found, I don't know whether it's I haven't found my way of doing that, it's not my talent, or I'm not interested. It doesn't really matter. It just hasn't naturally happened for me. So I'm very content to be kind of a nomad and bounce around. Wonderful. And one beautiful thing is, you know, the people in the studio world have very little knowledge of, you know, the uh, world cinema world. Gotcha. And vice versa. Right. So it's interesting that you can... um, you can always feel a certain freedom of uh, people see you differently because they don't know what the, your your shadow right. side or the other thing is doing. Okay. That the other world that you're in is doing. Yeah, it's like you've got a double, triple, quadruple life. Totally, that's what you have. And, you, and even coming up, you have a a Van Gogh biopic as yep. well as Aquaman. Well, don't call it a biopic, oh, okay. my friend. <laughs> what should we call it? <laughs> well, we can talk. Call it a movie about painting and about nature. I'm already Van so Gogh. excited for it. And, and Van Gogh. But yeah. biopic implies mm. normally for me, I mean, it gives a picture that we're going to explain someone's life or we're going to give the life. details of yeah. the life. Yeah. But it's about the end of his, you know, toward the end of his life. Oh, cool. And it's, um, yeah, we'll see what it is. But I'm very excited about that. We shot in beautiful locations in France. All the, That's great. Of, as much as possible, of course, all the original locations where Van Gogh was. Amazing. And it's directed by Julian Schnabel, who's, yeah. a, who's a great artist and a great filmmaker. And uh, there's a lot of painting in the movie. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm already so excited for that one. Good. Well, thank you, Willem Dafoe, sure. for joining us. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for <laughs> backstage <laughs> listeners? Um, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> stay off the internet. <laughs> Unless you're looking up Willem's amazing body of work and deciding which film to see next. There's other ways to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. Well, thank you for joining us. Okay. This episode of In the Envelope was recorded at Soundbox LA. Thank you, as always, to producer, editor, and all-around podcast wizard Jamie Muffet. You can follow him on Twitter at JamieMusicNYC. You can follow me, Jack Smart, on Twitter at JackSmartWrites. Thank you, as always, to the team at Backstage, a.k.a. the most trusted name in casting, Peter Rappaport, Mark Stinson, Francis Ramos, Rowan Al-Khatib, and especially the game-changing Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for another glimpse in the envelope. All right. Bye-bye. Now, don't stay up too late, and uh, don't eat too much before bed, because then you'll have bad dreams. Okay. And stay away from the dairy. It's not good for you.